The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. They're going to go back to the air here. Off play action to the end zone. Smith Marset. Touchdown, Iowa. And the lead for the Hawkeyes. Exactly what you're hoping for. Finally capitalize off momentum. And really, it's just going to be a little nudge to the outside. He's going back towards the post. And Amir Smith-Marset is the fastest player on Iowa's team. Iowa finally takes advantage. Second interception of this quarter of Clayton Thorson. And then Amir Smith-Marset and a 10-7 Hawkeye lead. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett. And welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Steve Batterson, who reflects on the Hawks' defeat at the hands of Northwestern and previews this week's Iowa-Illinois game. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Lovey Smith of the Fighting Illini. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include sports reporters Scott Docterman of The Athletic and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, former Iowa kicker Ron Kaluzzi, and our own Tyler Chemeland and Jack Bransgard. The Iowa-North Western game highlights are courtesy of Fox with announcers Joe Davis, Brady Quinn, and Bruce Feldman. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Thorsten throws an interception. Geno Stone with his fourth of the season. Pat Fitzgerald told Bruce one turnover could make the difference. He was hoping it came on the other end. Instead, Thorsten gets picked off. Geno Stone read his eyes the entire way. And then it's Stone who works his way down to Flynn Nagel, his favorite target for the interception. This has been an issue for Clayton Thorson. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings. Moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. The Iowa Hawkeyes are on the road once again this Saturday for another Big Ten West game, facing the Illinois Fighting Illini at Memorial Stadium in Champaign. Kickoff is set for 2.30 p.m. Iowa comes into this contest on a three-game losing streak. The Hawkeyes are sitting at 6-4 overall, but are underwater in the conference at 3-4. Illinois needs to win its last two games, Iowa and Northwestern, to become bowl eligible. The Illini I are four and six and two and five in the Big Ten. Its conference wins this season have come at Rutgers and over Minnesota. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz is the dean of college football coaches and the winningest coach in Iowa history. His overall record as a head coach, 161 and 122. His record at Iowa, 149 and 101. Illinois head coach Lovey Smith is in his third year with the Illini. His record over that period is 9 and 25. Ferentz is 9 and 3 versus Illinois. Lovey Smith is 0 and 2 against Iowa. This is the 74th Meeting between the two schools, Illinois leads the series 33-38-2, but Iowa has dominated in recent years. The Hawkeyes have won 12 of the last 15 meetings, 9 of the last 10, and 4 in a row. Iowa is 14-20 in games played in Champaign, but has won the last two games there. The last time the Illini beat Iowa at Memorial Stadium was 27-24 in 2008. Iowa won on homecoming in last Last year's contest at Kinnick 45-16 by scoring the final 38 points in that game. In game notes, three significant storylines came out of the Northwestern loss. First, in that game, Iowa could not effectively run the ball. That's not really been a strength all season. And second, and perhaps more concerning, Iowa's defense in this game couldn't stop the Wildcats' rushing game for most of the day. And third, Iowa's most explosive and productive offensive player, tight end Noah Fant, has not been on the field the last two games in many key down and distance 
defense plays. Moreover, when he has been in the game, he's rarely been targeted. All three of these are significant issues and probably need to be resolved for the Hawkeyes to finish the regular season on a high note. Ference addressed the Fant issue in his post-game presser last Saturday, being largely evasive and pretty defensive. He tried it again at his Tuesday press conference, and it was a little bit better. You'll hear Kirk's comments in a few minutes. Steve Batterson and I also talk about this at length in his segment coming up. One other note, it seems clear the primary decisions on whether and when to use Fant are made by offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz, who also serves as Iowa's tight ends coach. Fant has 18 career touchdown receptions. That's more than any tight end in Iowa history. Those 18 catches are second all-time in Big Ten history for a tight end. They're also fourth all-time in Iowa history for receivers at any position. Fant's tight end teammate TJ Hawkinson has also been extremely productive this year. He's caught 39 passes, which ties wide receiver Nick Easley for the team lead, and he's scored four touchdowns, which is his career high. Iowa's offensive line, despite struggles in the run game from time to time remains stout in its pass protection. It's allowed just 11 QB sacks, which is fewest in the Big Ten. The Hawkeyes have largely been productive on the road this year. They've averaged 37.5 points per game this season in those contests, and they have a 2-2 record away from Kinnick. Despite the loss to Northwestern, Iowa's defense still sits high in the key stats and rankings both in the conference and nationally, including second in the Big Ten in in scoring defense, rushing defense, and total defense. Iowa continues its 2018 sack attack. The defense has accumulated 28 sacks, third in the Big Ten. A.J. Epinesa leads the team with seven. That's fourth in the conference. And fellow defensive end Anthony Nelson has 6.5. And while the Hawkeyes started slowly in terms of collecting interceptions, they've really come on strong the last few games, especially since Amani Hooker moved to the outside linebacker position against spread off offenses, and Geno Stone was inserted as starting safety. Iowa now has 14 picks, 12 since week 5, and are led in that category by Stone, who has 4, Hooker and safety Jack Gervas have 3 each. Overall, 11 Iowa defenders have contributed to the sack total. Oh, and by the way, Iowa's tied for second in the Big Ten with those 14 INTs. The other team with 14, that would be Illinois. Iowa's kickoff return game is one of the most productive in the nation. The team's 28.5 yards overall per return leads the conference, and it's third in the FBS. Kick returner Amir Smith-Marset is averaging 31.9 yards per return. That is second in the nation. Smith-Marset also leads the team in all-purpose yards by far. He has 867 total and is averaging 96.3 per game. While Illinois has an excellent run game averaging 262.8 yards per game and powered primarily by running back Reggie Corbin and quarterback A.J. Bush on defense, it struggles mightily to stop the run. Last week at Nebraska, for example, the Illini rushed for 383 yards, but they allowed Nebraska to run for 316 on 36 carries, while Iowa's offense could only generate 64 yards against Northwestern. Illinois also has demonstrated it has the capability for explosive plays. It has 16 drives this season of less than one minute. That's third in the nation, and 12 of those 16 have come in conference games. In-depth chart notes, the Hawkeyes are relatively healthy for this game, especially for this time of the year, while fullback Brady Ross remains out of action. Wide receiver Brandon Smith returns after missing the Northwestern game. Kirk Ferentz said at his Tuesday presser that Nate Stanley's hand is much better this week, especially compared to the last two games. Ferentz also revealed that backup wide receiver Max Cooper was injured late in the Northwestern game and is now out for the rest of the regular season at least. Illinois has lost its backup running back Mike Epstein. He remains out this Saturday. And it's starting 1,000-yard rusher Reggie Corbin, who is responsible for most of the Illini yards on the ground, left last week's Nebraska game with a foot injury. Lovey Smith said on Monday that he's hopeful Corbin will be able to take the field against Iowa. If not, that would be a huge loss for Illinois. Corbin is third in the Big Ten, averaging 101.1 rushing yards per game, including nine touchdowns. In tidbits and nuggets, this game will be televised by the Big Ten Network with announcers Lisa Byington and 
and Jay Lehman. It will be broadcast as usual on the Hawkeye Radio Network with Gary Dolphin, Ed Podolak, and Rob Brooks. It is also available on Satellite Radio XM Channel 202 and Sirius 136. And it's Senior Day in Champaign. The Illini are one of the youngest teams in the nation and have one of the smallest senior classes in the FBS. Just nine players will play their last game at Memorial Stadium. Chancho! When you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room. It's for fun. Here they try to pound it away. Sargent with a short game. The ball came out. The whistle just now sounds. Who comes out at the bottom of the pile? Northwestern football as Travis Willock comes out of the pile with it for the Cats. I mean, this has been the season for Northwestern. It just seems like when it comes down to Big Ten play, the ball bounces their way. Things happen. This team is opportunistic. Their defense has been the backbone of this team and continually puts them in chances to win ballgames. Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who wanted to address two key issues coming off the Northwestern loss and heading into the final two games of the regular season. You know, first thing is, uh, you know, how do we move forward as a football team right now? You know, what's there left to play for? And, you know, I've always felt like any anything in sports, you know, I mentioned the other night we, we prepare pretty much year-round. You only get 12 opportunities guaranteed, so every game is really special. We've got two scheduled, and they're awfully important important to us. I know they are for opponents also. And it really goes down to two things for a football team or anybody uh, when you when you fate, uh, face disappointment. You know, you're either going to pull together, you're going to divide, or you're going to fight and compete, or you're going to surrender. And uh, you know, there really aren't, aren't options in either one of those choices. So, you know, the, the choice is to push forward and uh, maximize the opportunities moving forward. I'm really uh, comfortable and confident our team will do that. Uh, and that, that's where we're at right now. The other, other thing was just uh, regarding playing time, roles, that type of thing uh, with, with uh, personal and all decisions, etc. And and uh, I think as you can well imagine, our first goal as a team is to win, and then our second uh, secondary goals are to score points offensively and stop points on, on the defensive side. So you know, we spent a lot of time uh, evaluating our team, looking at the team, watching them, and then uh, week to week trying to figure out what gives us the best chance to do those two things, attain those two goals. And, and it's a little bit complex. Uh, you know, it starts with knowing your personnel, and then obviously trying to match your opponent's uh, anticipated uh, things that they're going to give you. So it uh, depends on the plan. Uh, injury situations of players also factor into it a little bit. And, and then most importantly, I think once you get to the game, just how the game goes, how the opponent uh, chooses to attack you and, and going from there. So you know, there are a lot of things that go into it, and uh, a lot of it's reactionary, and you just kind of kind of work from there. So that, that's how we go about that. Ference provides his overall assessment of this year's Illinois team. Coach Smith's third year over there, and they're a very young football team in, in a lot of regards. Uh, when you look at them, defensively you know clearly there's an identity there that's been consistent and then uh, I think where the big change is offensively they made a uh, change in systems uh, this past out of season and uh, the last three weeks especially they've really been uh, clipping right along I think they're uh, 50 excuse me 41 points a game uh, 550 yards uh, average over the last three three ball games and uh, you know a lot of that's coming on the ground quarterback and the running back are both doing a great job and uh, extremely dangerous players and uh, I think uh, they're playing with great great confidence and probably the biggest uh, change outside of that uh, that I would cite is just their offensive line. They were a young group last year and, and a little bit rough around the edges, but they're really, to me, allowing their, they've been much, uh, grew, much improved as a group and they're allowing their offense to, to operate really efficiently. So, you know, they've done a really good job of moving that thing along. And obviously, it's a road game for us back on the road again and uh, just, a, you know, another Big Ten challenge. A major question coming out of the last two losses is what has happened to star tight end Noah Fant's playing time, especially compared to fellow tight end T.J. Hawkinson. Fant is the most highly ranked offensive player on Iowa's team in the eyes of the NFL talent evaluators and one of the most productive Iowa receivers in history. Yet, he hasn't been on the field in many key down and distance situations the last few quarters, including key plays inside the
inside the red zone. Ferentz was asked to explain the rationale behind those personnel decisions. Uh, I said the other night we got two, I think, really good tight ends, and it's um, you know it's rare to have that. But I, I think if you look at it this year, plus compared to last year, we're going about roughly the same ratio amount of snaps. They're out there. He and TJ are out there together at times. They're out there separately at times, and uh, if they are out there separately, the lean is, is to TJ probably because he's a little bit more versatile as a tight end. I, I would compare Noah more of a, a specialist position, but yeah, nonetheless, he's a, he's an outstanding football player, and uh, you know we've 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 tried to get him the ball, and we'll continue to try to get him the ball. I mean, not, nothing really looked very good last Saturday, uh, quite frankly, offensively. Uh, there wasn't much we did that really did with consistency. So you know, we went back and looked at everything certainly, and we'll, we'll try to keep him involved and get him involved. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's a good football player. We're, we're going to be a better team if we can get him the ball. Uh, he didn't play that many snaps against Indiana, but he had a lot of production, you know, and that was coming off an injury and uh, what have you. Snap count was pretty low, but his production was really high, as was TJ's. And you know, we didn't get that kind of production from either of the guys the other night. I'm not, not putting it on them. It's just, you know, Northwestern did a really good job of uh, making it tough on us the other day. Ferentz also put to rest any speculation that the Fant situation reflects some kind of a character issue. You know, if that's floating around out there, which I, I got to apologize, I've, I'll, I'll read the papers tomorrow night. Uh, yesterday's news, right? R- r- uh, wrap up Dead Fish, I guess. And that they, they used to say that when people talked about stuff like that. But anyway, I haven't heard that. Uh, I can assure you that's not an issue. Noah's a high character guy. He's been tremendous uh, with us. You know, he's just, you know, he's a great kid. You know, so we're, there's no issues there at all. That, that's hardly the deal. Beyond that, again, he's a good player. So we're, we're going to be better if we can find ways to get him the ball. We tried to get him the ball in that two-point play at Purdue, the last one we had. Unfortunately, he was uh, assaulted on that play and didn't get the opportunity. And that, that's, that kind of factors in sometimes, too. I mean, we have a lot of plays that are designed for he, TJ, other guys as well. But, but if the defense takes something away, then you're, you know, you're, you're out of luck on that one. I asked Ferentz if, like Phil Parker on defense, his offensive coordinator, Brian Ferentz, is the primary decision maker on playing time for the offensive personnel, including the tight ends. Yeah, pretty much, uh, and, and LeVar on, on special teams. We'll have conversations. I'll interject thoughts, ideas. Uh, I had one last night before we left uh, on the other side of the ball, just about a couple things. But that, that's kind of always been the way I've operated. I'll make my observations, uh, say what I think is important, and, and then uh, pretty much let the coordinators handle things. Obviously, there are times we stepped in. Bob Sanders in 2000. I just thought it was time to get him on the field and see what we could do, see if he would help things. And uh, But yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we let the coordinators pretty much uh, dictate, and they're the ones that have to make the calls in critical times, so I think it's, it's better that way. And Kirk talked about the importance of finishing strong in the last two regular season games. You know, we, we've always talked about November football being important, and that hasn't changed. And uh, again, this has been disappointing because we've had two tough games uh, in this month and then another one prior to that. So, you know, coming out of Purdue, it looked, looked like a long shot to, to go to Indy. And uh, yeah, so that's always been our attitude going back to day one in 99 when we couldn't win a game. But you're always trying to build towards something. And I think, you know, it's really important that you're either adding to it, you're, you're contributing, or you're taking away from. And it was really the impetus behind sending watches, bull watches to the 2000 seniors because uh, they never got the opportunity to play in a bowl. And that was a real pivotal. But those, those guys helped set the table for that 2001 season. And that was hardly momentous looking back, but it was at that time. That was really, uh, that was like going to Indy for us at that point. And, and then right along with that, you know, you get pressed about evaluating teams and all that. And I, I really am reluctant to do that until the season's over. Two of the, my favorite teams to, to coach and work with on a daily basis uh, are not going to go down in the record books as memorable Iowa teams, perhaps, for a lot of people, but they will for me. The 13th season and, and um, the 08 season, you know, were two of the better. I thought those guys really just, they, they were on the right page. They were working together and, and maximized every opportunity as best they could. In 08, we lost three. It was, you know, after our 3-0 and start, got off to a good start and then had three tough losses like these uh, this stretch. They came out of it. We lost one more at Illinois, uh, coincidentally, by three points, I think it was. But but that season, you know, the team just kept driving and kept pushing. And that's all we're asking our guys to do right now. And there's still a lot of good moments we can we can have if we'll if we'll stick with it. And that's that's the goal right now. <laughs> Visit HawkeyesMike.com and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Medium and Twitter. Next, we hear from Illinois head coach Lovey Smith, who talks about the recent history in the Iowa-Illinois series and the importance of this game for his Illini needing to win the last two games of the regular season to attain bowl eligibility. History with them. I think they've won the last four games. 
been a long time, I think 2008 or so, that we beat them. We played them tough. The other two times we played them, but uh, haven't been able to get over the hump. Excited about coming back home. Most teams play bad at home. Hopefully that'll be the case with us. Smith was asked about the play of his big starting quarterback, A.J. Bush, especially last Saturday at Nebraska. I saw just a, a player that was really motivated, and especially when you go back to a place that you've called home. You know, A.J. is tough duty. So he's big, he's athletic, he's good speed. And uh, whenever you have an athletic quarterback like that, that can move the chains with his legs and, uh, and to be able to throw it too. You know, his passing stats won't say, you know, exactly how he played. We had too many drops in that game, but we had production from that position. Gives us a chance. Smith addressed the challenges posed by Iowa's defense. They play hard. They're sound. They've been playing the same system for a lot of years. Uh, don't make a lot of mistakes. Tough football team. Again, it's all those things. Discipline, uh, that's what they have. I mean, that's what they've been for many years. That's why we're looking forward to this matchup. We know what we're going to get on the other side. We need to make sure that that's how we were playing every snap. It'll be that type of football game. Lovey Smith also talked about his offensive line versus Iowa's defensive front. Well, offensive line's been playing good football. When you're playing good football and they play against good defensive lines before, you're looking forward to another challenge. We know, yes, this is an excellent defensive front, excellent defensive team, excellent defensive front deep, just not in their, their four starters. So we know where they'll be. It's not like they're going to do a whole lot of blitz and things like that. We know where they'll be. It's bone on bone a little bit. As an offensive line, you look forward to that challenge. And Smith assesses Iowa's offense, both its run and passing games. Well, when you uh, can run the football that way, it opens up situations in the passing game. One-on-one situation, you have to commit to stopping the run, and that leaves them one-on-one situations outside. When they pass the football, we need to be able to cover them. You know, most people play them the same. It's not like there's prevent defense you're going to play against them. It's stop the run, press, man type coverage. That's what we'll be, that's what we'll be doing, and that's what most teams have done against them. Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low-slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319-848-4191 or toll-free at 1-800-383-7663. You can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. Evades one rusher, throws into traffic. Big mistake. Big pick, Jake Gervas. And when the interceptions come for Iowa, they come in bunches. The eighth game this season where they've had two-plus takeaways. And it's, it's a ball that's just it's thrown into traffic. It's a poorly thrown football. Jack Hockaday gets his hands on it. And Gervas ends up getting the second interception for the Hawkeyes today. Time now for our reporter's notebook feature this week with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79. Steve reflects on the loss to Northwestern, and he previews the matchups in this Saturday's game, the Hawkeyes versus the Illini. Plus, we talk some Big Ten. Steve, it's our weekly reporter's notebook segment. We're going to reflect a little bit on last Saturday's loss to Northwestern. I was now lost three in a row, and uh, that was pretty ugly, especially offensively, but it wasn't great shakes defensively either. No, some problems on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, Iowa couldn't 
run it and they couldn't stop the run against a team that really hadn't rushed it very well all season. So, uh, you know, it, it was a, a, a couple of big problems that Iowa really wasn't able to overcome at any point during that game. And uh, it, it led to a, a typically ugly Iowa Northwestern game. And, and as we have seen the past three seasons, the Wildcats have kind of found a way to win. And it wasn't pretty, but, uh, you know, Northwestern had a chance to, to celebrate at Kinnick Stadium a division title, which uh, left the Hawkeyes kind of scratching some heads. And, and they're not the first. I mean, this is a Northwestern team that uh, has made winning ugly and winning close kind of a way of life. And, and uh, I was just kind of the latest team to, to find out that, you know, the Wildcats kind of find a way to win. Now, apart from the can't run and can't stop the run problems uh, last Saturday, uh, two other issues came up. Uh, I think the number of lateral passes, which is almost exclusively what Nate Stanley threw against the Wildcats, created a bit of a buzz up in the press box. It shades of Greg Davis days in his playbook. But the more controversial item that came out of that game was the disappearing act for Noah Fant. Iowa's top playmaker, terrific prospect in the NFL ranked, I think, by most experts there as the number one tight end prospect in college football, and yet he's not been on the field very much, not just last week, uh, the last couple of weeks on key downs and distances, key third downs, key red zone plays. Yeah, it's been it's been one of the more baffling storylines of this Iowa football team, and and really there there hasn't been a an explanation as to why everybody seems to be trying to say the right things. They're being very polite towards each other. But, uh, uh, you know, certainly I think Noah is probably a little frustrated by his lack of playing time. I think uh, certainly the Iowa fan base has made its uh, feelings known on the, on the subject through social media throughout the week. And, you know, in, in answering questions on Tuesday, Kirk Ferentz uh, basically said that they, they see Noah as being somewhat more of a specialist and see, you know, his counterpart, TJ Hawkinson, to, to be more of a versatile all-around tight end. And, you know, it comes down to the ability to block and it comes down to the ability to catch passes and certainly Noah has proven to be a, a terrific pass catcher and uh, particularly in quite you know in tight quarters around the, around the end zone but uh, uh, you know I, I think the problem that, that Iowa has is, is that they have two very good tight ends and, and sometimes there's just a, a need for only one on the field and so when those situations arise the nod has been going to Hawkinson lately and it, it's been somewhat performance-based in terms of, of uh, you know if you take a look at, at, at games after after catch and that kind of thing this season uh, Hawkinson has, has had a terrific sophomore year and it's left Noah on the on the outside looking in probably more than, than he anticipated uh, the strange part of the deal is that he has been on the field from a percentage standpoint it, it, it's very close to where he was a year ago when he was involved in about 40% of the snaps, but uh, the production at, at times has been uh, maybe not what people anticipated. I think fans had an idea that this is going to be a, a real tight end heavy situation, and, and I think part of what we've seen, we've seen receivers grow too, and I, I think that uh, you know with Amir Smith, Marcet, and Brandon Smith uh, catching some of those balls, maybe there's a, a little less uh, opportunity for, for two tight ends than maybe what even the Iowa coaches would have anticipated heading into the season. Yeah, two additional thoughts. Uh, one is that, you know, they always talk about, well, we can't get Fant the ball because he's usually usually double teamed, but you can't be double teamed when you're on the sideline. But when you are double teamed, that usually frees up either the other tight end or one or more of the wide receivers to have a chance to be in man coverage. The other thing I thought the funniest, uh, one of the, our followers on Twitter, when he saw us post uh, Kirk's comment about uh, Kirk uh, viewing Fant as more of a specialist, he said, he wrote back and said, yeah, he specializes in scoring touchdowns. Absolutely. You know, and, and he's he's made a career of that, and you know, and I, I think in those tight spaces, there there is no other tight end that they would prefer to have on the field. But uh, uh, you have to drive the ball into the red zone, which has been an issue at times for this Iowa offense. It certainly was last week, and uh, it uh, once you're there, then you've got to do something with it. And and obviously, you know, it was kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time at Penn State a couple of weeks back. And we haven't seen a lot of him since, and and I'm a little uh, suspicious that maybe uh, performance uh, in that situation 
situation maybe has kind of come back to, to haunt him a little bit over the past couple of games. Turning now to Iowa at Illinois, the Hawkeyes are kind of desperately in need of a win here. They're facing an Illinois team that's uh, certainly a bit of a powerhouse in the running game, but not very good defensively and uh, not particularly great shakes uh, passing either. Let's talk first about Iowa's offense matching up against the Illinois defense, which uh, has given up a lot of yards, a lot of rushing yards. So um, just, yeah. So is this the opportunity for Iowa to finally get its rushing game back together? Well, it certainly would appear so on, on, on the surface. Uh, you know, Illinois' uh, run defense has been pretty civil-like there. They're last in the Big Ten in stopping the run, uh, giving up just under 250 yards a game. And, and uh, it, it's a uh, it's a very young Illinois defense in a lot of ways. I mean, they have some solid individual talent within in the structure of that defense. The secondary uh, has been very susceptible to the pass as well. So so they're not very good against the run, and they're not very good against the pass. And, and that, that's never a good combination. And uh, with three uh, freshmen kind of lining up as, as starters in, in the secondary that's that's left a little vulnerability there too and you know this is this is a week that Iowa should be able to run the football on this team and um, you you look back to a couple of other teams that are kind of a, of a similar ilk and Iowa has had some success uh, you know in moving the ball against uh, some of those teams and, and you know I think that that uh, the blocking uh, or lack thereof last week I, I think the uh, you know the the extra two or three yards that uh, the Northwestern's defense had a lot to do in, in denying that extra yard after after a, you know after contact. Um, I, I think Torn Young, Makai Sargent, I think are, are positioned pretty well, and Ivory Kelly Martin. Uh, you know the, those three guys will continue to rotate. It sounds like uh, it also sounds like they're going to give those guys maybe a little more of a chance to kind of get things going. To Kirk kind of touched on this on Tuesday that he felt like that none of those guys maybe had the chance to get into into the flow to the degree that they needed to. It had probably more to do with play calling in terms of, of when Iowa ran and when it passed and some of that has to do with what what they can collect on first down and and this should be a, an Illinois defense that uh, Iowa should be able to uh, to move the ball on first down against and, and set up some of those situations where I, where maybe uh, unpredictability is uh, is more of a more into play than uh, than what we saw a week ago when it was typically second and long to your point about the three running backs they've combined for 1275 rushing yards and 10 touchdowns interestingly each each one has almost one third of the total carries on the season. So, you know, Kirk resisted the idea Tuesday that the trio of running backs is creating sort of flow, offensive flow issues in the run game, but um, at least it raises the question there. And then that issue with Nate Stanley and the passing game uh, last Saturday. It was it was baffling. Illinois does give up you know, 285 passing yards per game. Should we look Saturday for more vertical passing, more downfield efforts? I, I would certainly think so. I, I think that uh, in, in talking with some of Iowa's receivers, they felt that Northwestern did a really good job of taking away the intermediate pass. And I, I would expect that those lanes may be a little more open this week. Uh, one thing Illinois does do is it does force some turnovers. They're, they're second in the Big Ten along with Iowa. Iowa uh, with 14 picks this year. So, uh, you know, the Illini secondary, Delshawn Phillips is a guy who's been around for a couple of years now. He uh, gives them some experience on the back end, and they've got uh, uh, some guys that can really kind of step up in those situations and, and, and make some make some plays. Uh, it's a, uh, you know, uh, the type of, of team that uh, they have risen up a few times. And one of the things that Lovey talked about, Lovey Smith talked about on Monday during his uh, news conference, was the lack of tackling that they had in Nebraska last week. So, uh, as opposed to how they shut down Minnesota the week before, so it's been kind of a hit and miss thing, and, and which is not you know atypical of a young defense. And um, you know, I think uh, I was probably going to get Illinois' best shot because, frankly, they weren't very happy with anything they did defensively and giving up 606 yards on the ground to or uh, in the game to the Huskers last week in Lincoln. You know, Bobby Roundtree, uh, a defensive lineman, is one of the more active. The defensive lineman in the Big Ten. He's uh, uh, not only capable of, of getting to the quarterback, but he's also uh, amongst uh, uh, amongst the uh, Big Ten defensive linemen. He's among the leaders in 
passes broken up. So they've got some, some quickness on this defense that is capable of, of creating some issues for Iowa. And the Hawkeyes are going to have to kind of bring their A game, which they certainly haven't done the past couple of weeks. Yeah, Roundtree's numbers really pop at you. 11 tackles for loss, six and a half sacks, the seven pass breakups you mentioned. Their leading tacklers are their linebackers. Uh, and if you look at some of those stats, you know, they're, they're, they look solid on paper. I mean, you know, uh, 81 total tackles, five tackles for loss, a sack for the Desha- uh, Deshaun Phillips. And you go right on down, look at some of those other numbers. They've got another linebacker, Harding, Dele Harding, who's got four and a half tackles for loss. And yet... And they're, you know, they're not bad in terms of sacks. They've got 18 sacks on the season, but what is it that makes them so leaky? Yeah, it's consistency. Uh, a lot of it is is the inexperience that, that they're putting on on the uh, on the field. Jertavius Martin is a, is a good example of that. He's, he's a defensive back, a freshman who's, uh, you know, he, he's had, you know, he's got three picks on the year, but he's also uh, probably given up uh, that many or more uh, touchdowns on, on missed attempts that, that uh, you know, they'll gamble a little bit with some of those younger kids. And uh, the discipline isn't terrific at, at this juncture. Uh, it's improving, but it hasn't been consistent. You know, they were in that game in, in Lincoln, uh, you know, from, from nearly a half last weekend, and, and things kind of slipped away late, and, and, you know, all of a sudden you're looking at a, uh, at a you know, giving up 54 points, and uh, they've had the propensity to do that, and, and finishing games early on was kind of an issue for this group. Uh, they, they gave Penn State fits into the third quarter, and then they ended up, you know, giving up 62 or 63 points in that game. So uh, it, it's a defense that has had trouble going from start to finish. Uh, you know, they'll have flashes of, you know, what Lovey hopes to see maybe a couple of, of years down the road from some of these guys, because they're still going to be around, assuming they can hold on to to lineup positions and uh, they've had some uh, they've had some internal things as well. Hardy Nickerson, the defensive coordinator, uh, stepped aside a couple of weeks ago because of a, of a health situation, and uh, so Lovey's kind of taken a more active role in dealing with their defense. They were able to play that into uh, a pretty effective you know performance against Minnesota two weeks ago, but uh, I don't think Lovey will be taking too much credit for what transpired in Lincoln last weekend. Yeah, I mean, and you, you didn't mention giving up. Four- 46 points to Purdue, 49 to Wisconsin, 63 to Maryland. They've given up 63 points twice this season. Maryland and Penn State. So it's it, it's been it's been a constant problem, and and uh, you know as improved as Illinois is on, on the offensive side of the ball, which we'll we'll touch on here in a bit. Uh, the defense has been a season long issue, and and uh, you know it's certainly you know they gave up 19 points in, in the fourth quarter to South Florida, or or they would have won that game and, and finished the nine conference. Three and zero, and, and would be sitting at five and five right now. So uh, it's it's a defense that uh, you know is going through growing pains, and they have been consistent growing pains throughout the season. There there has been uh, uh, beyond beyond the Minnesota game, which they eventually gave up thirty one points in that one. You know that was a game that they controlled. Uh, you know they were up handily and in, into the third and fourth quarter, and and on their end of it, you know they put fifty five on the board, but so they had enough of a cushion that day to, to hold on, but uh, the defense has been fairly problematic for Illinois. So I have a feeling I know what your answer is going to be to this question, but so who has the edge in this matchup? I think that Iowa certainly has an edge offensively versus the Illinois defense this week. If if uh, if the Hawkeyes can come out, this it says a chance to be one of those games where I was going to put some points on the board, probably uh, as much of a chance as Iowa's had in a number of weeks here. They've you know they've faced some fairly solid defenses uh, uh, here lately, certainly with Penn State and, and Northwestern's defense is probably better than it. It gets credit for, but uh, um, you know this is a this is a, an Iowa offense in need of a of a, a nice shot in the arm, and, and certainly uh, you know this is an opponent that can provide that. Let's turn now to Iowa's defense against the Illini offense. Despite what happened last Saturday in Kinnick, Iowa's defense still remains ranked very highly in the Big Ten and nationally. A points per game second, Big Thirteen FBS, uh, second in rushing defense in the Big Ten, sixth in the nation, second in total. Defense, 10th in the nation. Um, They're third in sacks now. And, okay, that's Iowa's defensive stats. Illinois' offensive stats are certainly 
improved by their t- really it's a terrific running game they've got in place here they're averaging 425 yards a game in total offense 263 of those on the ground and that's second in the big 10 and eighth in the nation illinois has moved the ball on pretty much everyone they've played this season and and they've done it with with two quarterbacks. A.J. Bush will be the guy behind center uh, this week, at least that's what is expected. You know, and he's coming off of a terrific game uh, at Nebraska, which is where he started his career. Uh, A.J. Bush is a very well-traveled young man. I mean, he spent two seasons in Lincoln, was recruited out of Georgia by Bo Pelini, was not able to, to move up the depth chart behind the third spot, couldn't beat out Tommy Armstrong, couldn't beat out Riker Fife, and so he ended up transferring to Iowa Western Community College. Uh, uh, where he was a teammate of, of uh, Nicky Easley, uh, and uh, th- that led him to uh, Virginia Tech the following year and uh, to Illinois this season as a grad transfer. And uh, He brings a, a real running threat to the quarterback position. I mean, he busted loose for 187 yards on the ground last week in Lincoln and three touchdowns, which uh, I'm sure was a happy homecoming for him. Probably a little uh, you know, head-scratching for Eric Shenander as the first-year defensive coordinator over there, but uh, He's a perfect complement to to what they've got in in Reggie Corbin, who is a a really solid Big Ten running back. He's one of those guys you don't hear a lot about because Illinois doesn't have a lot of team success. But, you know, he's their first uh, 1,000-yard rusher since um, Mikhail Ashur back in, in, in 2010. And you know he's a he's a solid physical back with with great breakaway speed and he did suffer a bit of a foot injury. They pulled him out of the Illinois game once score was kind of out of control. Lovey said on Monday that he is hopeful that uh, Reggie will be able to go against Iowa, and I think that that would be uh, certainly something that would be needed for Illinois. Their backup is a kid by the name of Mike Epstein. He won't play this week. He is injured, and uh, uh, he's kind of working towards maybe. A return next week against Northwestern for them, but uh, Corbin is a is a big play guy, and uh, you know as is as is AJ, AJ Bush, and uh, the two of them have have really led Illinois to to uh, the, the type of offense that they've had. I mean, they're you know if you take a look at at uh, at what they've done on the ground here uh, in, in recent weeks, uh, you know they're they're averaging six point two nine yards a carry. Uh, that goes up to just under seven yards per carry in conference play, and uh, they lead the FBS in with uh, thirty runs of, of thirty yards or more this season. So uh, the test for the Iowa defense uh, this uh, this uh, week will be to certainly keep the ball in front of them and and to limit the uh, the potential for Illinois to have those big plays. Uh, they burned Minnesota for a couple of, of uh, plays uh, that went for 70-plus yards. And, I mean, you, you can't do that and expect to win a game in the Big Ten. They have uh, more explosive plays than, than most other teams in the conference and most other teams in the nation. They've even had several series that last well under a minute. To your point about Bush, he's already run the ball 110 times. He's a classic dual threat, but I think it's mostly the threat on, with his legs, not his arm. And Corbett and Bush together have combined for 17 touchdowns. So that, those are impressive numbers. Yeah, this is one of the better run games that I was going to face this season. And, you know, the Hawkeyes have been obviously fairly effective against uh, good rushing attacks. You think back to the Maryland game. They came in with some pretty impressive numbers as well, and Iowa was able to kind of shut them down. And, you know, the, the challenge this week is going to be pretty similar to that. And you look at the 30-yard-plus 30 30 rushes, the 30 of them that Illinois has, Iowa has one on the course of the season. That's the disparity in, in, in what they've been able to do and why they've been able to kind of put together some, some pretty solid offensive, you know, performances. They just, uh, you know, their passing game maybe hasn't been quite as consistent as, as they had hoped going into the season, certainly losing Mike Dudek, uh, you know, kind of the uh, uh, the just settles of the Illinois football program. It's a kid that's been around for six years and has had, a, you know, a couple of, of ACL injuries. You know, losing him before the season started certainly, uh, you know, impacted what they anticipated to get out of their passing game this year. And, and uh They've had to run the football in part because that's where their experience is. Their offensive line, they start three sophomores and a freshman. Uh, the three sophomores all started a year ago as freshmen, so they're second-year guys. They've improved. Uh, the past three weeks, I think it is, they, the offense has, has averaged over 500 
yards per game. So uh, this is an offensive line that's performing pretty well. They'll uh, they'll test Iowa's Iowa's defense and that defensive line rotation that uh, for whatever reason did not perform very well against uh, Northwestern last week. And and uh, it'll be a, a chance for the Hawkeyes to bounce back, but they're going to have to do so against a pretty potent offense. Every member of their starting offensive line is uh, an Illinois native. Bush passing. He's thrown seven picks. You'd say, well, okay, Stanley's thrown eight, except Nate Stanley's thrown 18 touchdown passes, and Bush has thrown only five. So they're, they have, you know, nine TDs total receiving and 25 total rushing. Yeah, uh, you know, MJ Rivers is a freshman quarterback. He's kind of seen as, as kind of their next guy in. He started three games midseason after Bush went into kind of a little lull, and uh, he got knocked out by injury, and so Bush has been back the last couple of weeks, and, and uh, you know, he's been performing at a pretty high level. I mean, he's a senior trying to get the most that he can out of, out of what's there, but uh, yeah, 54.7% is a pretty pedestrian number in terms of pass completions in the Big Ten, and, and uh, you know, that's just kind of where Illinois' passing game is at. Their leading receiver is, is a guy by the name of Trenard Davis, uh, has 29 catches on the year, so it's uh, you know, moving the ball that way has been problematic for, for uh, Illinois throughout the year, but uh, they've compensated that with, with the run game and, and uh, you know, trying to control things that way. Yeah, they don't really do much with their tight ends, unlike Iowa, but they've got four wide receivers that are pretty evenly matched in terms of their stats. Now, with Bush, the dual-threat quarterback, and, and, you know, what you can expect to see about the way Illinois spreads out its offense, does that mean we're going to see, again this week, the sort of hybrid version of Iowa's defense with Amani Hooker at outside linebacker and Geno Stone back starting at safety? I would certainly think that's probably more likely. Uh, I, I think that uh, it's been an, a fairly effective look for Iowa defensively against teams that are more more spread type teams, and certainly Illinois falls into that category. Uh, you know, their first year offensive coordinator uh, Rod Smith was uh, the uh, offensive coordinator at Arizona under Rich Rod for the past few years, and uh, he came in this year uh, vowing to to spread that offense out, and and you know that that's been the attempt. They don't quite have the receivers to execute it the way he wants yet, but uh, they certainly are are using threat of the spread and and also the ability of their quarterback to carry the football to, to uh, keep defenses a little bit honest. In spite of their offensive line being better than it was last year, they're facing an Iowa defense that is pretty darn good at getting sacks. I already mentioned their Iowa's third in the Big Ten in that regard. And again, you've got A.J. Epinesa and uh, uh, Anthony Nelson leading the team in that regard. And Illinois surrendered 24 sacks already this season. Yeah, no question. Uh, you know, and certainly, uh, you know, we've seen Chauncey Golston come up big in a few situations. And, and Parker Hesse just kind of quietly does what Parker Hesse does. And, and, you know, I think those guys are all positioned to have a pretty solid game this week against, uh, you know, an Illinois team that uh, is probably still another year or so away from, from being, you know, the type of Big Ten offensive line that Lovey would like to have. I think it's, uh, you know, it's uh, uh, it's a team that has, has played uh, 18 true freshmen uh, above and beyond the four-game max uh, uh, that everybody's uh, looking at this season. And, and uh, they're in a situation where they're, they're still one of the youngest teams in the country, and, and uh, he's had two fairly decent recruiting classes back-to-back. It's a matter of time before he you know, starts to, to kind of turn that into some wins, but uh, uh, they've got a lot of guys who are getting some pretty valuable experience right now that uh, should prove beneficial down, down the road. The one thing you hope is you hope you're not the opponent on the day when they put it all together, and I mean, that's how these things usually work, and, and uh, uh, you know, that's something I'm sure Iowa will be guarding against this week. They need to be at their best. And certainly, I think losing three straight, I think that has uh, um, Iowa kind of in a pretty hungry mode at this point. Yeah, we talked about how you can anticipate success running the game for the Hawkeyes against Illinois' run defense. But it would be really important for Iowa's defense to reestablish what has been the case for most of the season. It's very tough run defense against the very prolific Illinois run offense. Otherwise, um, what happened in the Northwestern game could be a different 
version of a trend that you don't want to see if you're an Iowa fan or the team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, this is a game where the Iowa defense has to be on top of its game and and consistently on top of its game because Illinois has proven week after week that they're uh, if you make a mistake, they're going to make you pay. They're not going to be real consistent at it, but they certainly are capable of putting points on the board. And, you know, when when you get guys breaking 60 and 55 year kind of runs, you you you're turning the field into uh, you know uh, you know a pinball machine of points and and uh, this is a, this is a game that will uh will test the uh, the moxie of that Iowa D. Yeah, going from facing the last uh, place run offense in the Big Ten to the second best, and, you know, Iowa made Northwestern's freshman running back look like an All-American last week, so something to keep an eye on. Absolutely. So, who has the edge here in this matchup? Which version of Iowa's defense shows up, I guess, is another way to ask that question. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, probably the bottom line. I, I think that Illinois will be able to move the ball on Iowa. They certainly have done that against everybody. Uh, you know, I think this game is going to be more like the Purdue game as opposed to the Northwestern game. I think I think that uh, um, it has the potential to, to be a fairly high-scoring game. I think that in this case, Iowa maybe has uh, you know, a, a bit of an edge just from an experience standpoint. And, uh, I, I do think that the Hawkeyes will show up as a, as a rather angry football team looking to take out some frustrations on somebody. And, you know, Illinois just happens to be the, the, the opponent standing in the way right now. And uh, my guess is the Hawkeyes will probably end up with an edge on, on, on the defensive side of the ball as well. And, and I certainly see this as being an opportunity for the secondary to kind of add to its collection of, of picks. Uh, Iowa's averaged two per game since Geno Stone uh, first started in, in, at safety and Hooker kind of moved up into that hybrid position up at Minnesota on week five. So, you know, I, I would suspect that's going to continue. Uh, turnovers were a problem for Illinois last week at, at Nebraska. My guess is they won't have that all cleaned up this week. A couple of special teams notes. Illinois has a really good Good place kicker in uh, Chase McLaughlin. He's he's very accurate and from long distance out. He's one of the best kickers they've had, and they've had some decent ones there. That's not an easy place to, to kick. Uh, the, the winds at Memorial Stadium are, are notorious for for being all over the place during the season. Uh, this kid has been, uh, you know, he's got a school record of, of, of five 50 plus yard field goals. So I mean, he's got it figured out over there. And yeah, you don't want the game to come down to his foot. Because because if so, uh, probably not a good thing. Because uh, he's certainly very, very capable, uh, and uh, you know he's he's uh, he's, a, he's one of just a handful of, of what's probably going to be about the world's shortest senior ceremony on on Saturday. Illinois only got nine seniors on the roster. Really, only five or six of those guys have seen the field much at all. Uh, one is a grad transfer who was injured preseason and never suited up for a game. So uh, this is a this is a really young Illinois team, and and I. Think think that, uh, you know, Chase McLaughlin certainly doesn't fill that bill. He's one of the more veteran players in the Big Ten. He's a finalist for, for some national kicking awards, and, and there's there's a good reason for it. He's pretty good. Yeah, and Rosinos has been really solid all season long there. It's just McLaughlin's capability of those longer field goals. And then you have a really good punter in uh, Blake Hayes. He's averaging uh, 43 and a half yards a kick, and he's had 19 inside the 20 and 12 50 yards or longer. And now that is matching up against Iowa's starting punter, Colton Rastatter, at least he's been the starter, who seems to be heading south. He's going the wrong direction in the last three games. Yeah, the last uh, few games, uh, you know, have not been his best for sure. And, and uh, uh, you know, that was an area where Iowa really felt midseason like it'd seen some significant growth. And, you know, as the weather's kind of turned, uh, so have the uh, so have the punts. Uh, they've turned right, they've turned left. And, you know, last week he averaged 34.9 yards per attempt on, and on seven tries, so he had plenty of opportunities and, and just couldn't quite give Iowa that field position uh, flip that it needed at times and and uh, you know when, when you're when you're launching a, a 28 or 29 yarder and, and setting an opponent up at midfield that's uh, that becomes kind of problematic especially at this time of year and Iowa needs either Rastatter to, to have a good day or I would suspect we may see Ryan Gersande out there for the first time this season uh, you know they're they're under that limit now where they could actually put 
put him into some games here down the stretch that uh, would allow him to still redshirt the season. And, uh, you know, I think that's a possibility. If, if uh, Rastetter doesn't get it done early, it wouldn't surprise me to see a switch there during the game. Yeah, Rastetter seems to be falling into the situation he was in last year where he could boom some long punts, mostly rugby-style, distance-wise they're long. But in key situations, under pressure, he seems to choke a little bit. And that's, you know, you mentioned a 28 or a 30-yard punt. It's one thing if you're punting from the 50, but when you're punting from inside the 10, that's really not a helpful situation. So Not what you need. On the other hand, uh, Illinois has got squat for punt returns. They're okay on kick returns, but where Iowa has a huge advantage is uh, Amir Smith-Marset returning kickoffs. He's uh, he's just been terrific, and he keeps, you know, you keep thinking, man, he's going to break one or two of these really soon. He's second in the nation uh, right now, and Iowa's one uh, in the Big Ten and three overall in the FBS in, in their kick return game. He's given Iowa some terrific field position, and, and they haven't always made the most of it, and, and I think that's probably the concerning part there, but he, he's been as consistent as any player on the field this season for Iowa, and, and I think that's, uh, um, you know, it's taken, it's been one of those things that uh, certainly Iowa should be able to use to their advantage, probably would like to use to their advantage even more, uh, and, uh, you know, as long as he's back there, and as long as teams are, are kicking it to him, I think that that possibility is is there. I mean, I think that's uh, something that certainly I think, uh, you know, I think everybody's kind of waiting for him to, to return one. It, it's, um, he certainly has the ability, just a matter of uh, um, and, and I think that, uh, uh, you know, certainly I think that uh, this may be a situation where Illinois is fairly young as well in, in those areas and, and maybe a little susceptible. So, may, you know, maybe this will be the Saturday. Uh, you know, in, in terms of, of talking with him this week, one of the things that he brought up was, you know, one of the things he tells the guys uh, uh, before they go out is is that, you know, this is the one. This is the one he's taken to the house. And it hasn't happened yet, but uh, uh, Illinois has given up one this year, and uh, maybe he can make that two this weekend. Before we get your prediction, let's just take a quick peek at the Big Ten. Uh, again, I think this Big Ten season has been kind of weird because there are weird results. And, you know, last week, Minnesota beating Purdue 41-10. to That was another one of the strange ones, but Ohio State handled Michigan State uh, last weekend. Nebraska beat Illinois. We've already referenced that. And Penn State uh, took care of Wisconsin. And of course, that combination of Wisconsin and Purdue losing and Northwestern defeating Iowa gave the Wildcats the uh, undisputed Big Ten West title. So they'll be playing in the Big Ten Championship game. This weekend, um, not as many, to me at least, as interesting games on paper. The two most interesting, just because I'm curious to see what the results might be, are Wisconsin at Purdue and Michigan State at Nebraska. Yeah, certainly I think that uh, the you know, the Wisconsin-Purdue game is an interesting one for a lot of reasons, including, you know, the fact that uh, Wisconsin has kind of struggled a little bit down the stretch here, and, and you know, Purdue has been hot and cold. Uh, you know, they, they you know, had looked extremely uh, proficient against Iowa, and then they couldn't do a thing. They went over 12 and on third down conversions at Minnesota last weekend, and, uh, you know, so where, where are the boilers? I think we'll find out a little, find out a little bit. Uh, those two teams are, are, you know, tied for second in the West right now in terms of conference records and and uh, you know it will be an interesting matchup it's it's Purdue's uh, final uh conference division game uh, and certainly uh, you know Jeff Brom's name has been bannered about already for the uh, the current head coaching vacancy at Louisville so uh, you know th- that little storyline is kind of underlying everything as well you know I, it's going to be interesting to me to see how Northwestern comes out at Minnesota after uh, clinching last week at Kinnick uh, you know Minnesota is uh, one of those teams that, that obviously played awfully well last week uh, they played extremely Extremely poorly two weeks ago in Champaign, and it's a uh, uh, you know a situation where you know PJ Flex team is, is sitting there at five and five uh, uh, facing Northwestern this week, and then Wisconsin the following week. Uh, they need a win to get to a bowl game, and. Uh, uh, you know, do, do they put it together against the Wildcats? Well, you know, we're going to find out. You know, uh, you, you flip the side to the other division. Uh, you know, obviously the the big one is looming next week. Seems like it's always the big one, Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, you know, and how how do those two teams handle the potential trap that, that might be out there this week? Ohio State's on the road. They're at Maryland. Indiana visits Michigan. Um, Indiana 
again, another one of those teams that's kind of been up and down and, and all over the map in terms of performance. Uh, you know, can can they maybe catch the Wolverines uh, napping? Uh, you know, uh, Jim Harbaugh's team has been pretty consistent this year and uh, maybe surprisingly so. And do they have a, you know, do they have a blip before they uh, deal with the Buckeyes? Uh, uh, you know, what what can the Terps do against Ohio State this week at home? And, you know, and, and Maryland is, is another one of those five and five teams that, you know, these last couple of weeks, those teams are dangerous because they, you know, they're playing for bowl opportunities and, and to extend seasons and, and those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, Lovey Smith even referenced uh, this week with Illinois sitting at four and six at the playoffs start now for, for the Alliance. Uh, you know, that's something that uh, it comes into play this time of year. The, the ball can take some weird bounces in November. All right, back to Iowa at Illinois. You just mentioned Illinois needs to win both this Saturday and the following Saturday when it plays Northwestern in the season ender to be bowl eligible. Uh, Iowa needs this game badly to get out of this three-game losing rut and and get some semblance of being back on track for at least a decent bowl slotting, and eight and four is still a possibility. So what's your thinking here? Well, I, I do think this will be more like the Purdue game as opposed to the Northwestern game. I think this is going to be a game that uh, Iowa's going to have to score some points. But I don't know if that means that Kirk can start going for two right away or anything, but uh, as we saw at Purdue, but uh, I do think it certainly is is a game that is winnable for Iowa. I think uh, Illinois is probably still a year away. Uh, you know, who, who may be a quarterback uh, there down the road remains to be seen. But uh, I think this is a, is a game where Iowa should be able to uh, uh, to pull away in the second half. I think it's uh, probably a, you know a, a two to two and a half touchdown type victory for Iowa. Um, I, I'm seeing it somewhere in the uh, maybe 42 to uh, 28. Kind of range. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. And Northwestern, for the first time, is going to win the Big Ten West. Time and time again, just the way this team has played, in particular in conference play, they get up for these games. Now they're going to find themselves at Indianapolis. 14-10, the final score. Come on! As Northwestern beats Iowa, Big Ten West Division champs. Now they'll sit back over the next couple weeks, see who their opponent will be on Fox in the Big Ten Championship from Indy a few weeks from now. Our thanks again to Fox for the Iowa Northwestern game highlights, and thanks as always to Steve Batterson. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on iTunes, Overcast, and other podcasting apps. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting original programming on Iowa athletics for 12 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.